Mr. Manager, before you get started, I do want Andrea to do an introduction of Chloe Cohen, who is a student at UVA Batten School, and Andrea will give her a more formal introduction. Anytime we have you know, a Batten scholar here, we want to show them off. Cool. So, Andrea. So, I just, um, I had the opportunity, um, Chloe reached out to me. She's a second-year student at UVA in the Batten School of Leadership, and she has been spending her time over her winter break um, in an unpaid way. Um, she's just been following me around uh, the city, went up to Richmond with me, and she's, um, she's a bright future leader, and I appreciate her interest and in civic engagement at such, such a young age. So um, I wish you well in your studies as you go back to Charlottesville. Good to be with you. Okay, okay Mr. Manager, uh, we have, um, you have your agenda review. I do. So yes, I'm going to do a quick agenda review and highlight uh, four items on your agenda. Uh, then we're going to have an update. I'm going to ask Commissioner Peter Decker III to step forward and uh, make an introduction of uh, Robert Bowen from the Norfolk uh, International Airport. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Michael Goldsmith is going to get up and do a um, storm after action update for you. Uh, uh, Morgan Whalen, special assistant to the city manager, is going to do a, a few minutes on an item that you all are aware of, but the community may be less so, of the mayor's um, advisory commission on uh, climate change mitigation and adaptation, and she'll do a quick slide on that and tell you where we're going that's on your agenda next week uh, George Homewood uh, has talked to each of you about the zoning ordinance that, that's uh, uh, the rewrite that's coming forward but want him to step up and and take uh, 10 minutes and talk about that and um, in the uh, wildly unlikely chance that we have additional time from that <laughs> I will uh, give you a couple minutes on the retreat and uh, Greg Patrick will do a um, uh, one of his budget vignettes so agenda review uh, four things I'd like to, to bring forward to you I'm gonna recommend or I am recommending to you that on RO7, the Atlantic Pipeline item, I'm going to uh, recommend it to you tonight that you defer that item generally. Uh, you'll remember that the reason you deferred it last time was waiting for the Water Control Board to, to act. Uh, they did. Uh, they granted the permit, but they granted it with conditions and with additional studies to be, to be made. And, and I would uh, submit to you that we should let those processes play out and um, uh, defer that item tonight. But that will be your consideration as you go out front. Uh, that's RO7. Uh, you've got in front of you, we're walking on a um, resolution for you to ratify the <coughs> declaration of emergency from uh, uh, from Grayson uh, that I made last week. And then, as you all know, part of the process is you all have to ratify that the next time you meet. So that, that's in front of you, and we're adding that to your agenda. So can I, sorry, yeah. Yeah. a quick question. Are we done with public comments on the Atlantic Coast Pipeline? We are. So nobody can come up and continue saying the same thing over and over and over and over. Public hearing speaks close. Just us. Okay. Just us. Just us. I just want to be sure. It's a great, great point. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just the same citizens who keep on coming and saying the same thing. So I just want to make sure if somebody new wants to add something, they can do it under another comment section. But I, would, I just want to make sure. On the new business, but right. on ours. ours yeah, so my recommendation is R7 is your last item. It's close. I would recommend I'm not trying to be mean. Just right. it gets old sometimes. Yeah. Um, all right, so would ask uh, Thelma Drake, uh, who, you, as you all know, has really <coughs> stepped in quickly, uh, Thelma and, and Morgan Whalen supporting her um, with our legislative agenda. We've, we've at, at request of some of the members, we've added uh, four, I think maybe five items, and so she's going to let you know uh, what they are um, this evening. Thank you, Mr. Manager, Mr. Mayor, members. Uh, we did um, update our package to include things that we had discussed the last times we were together. Um, Councilman Riddick to make it easier to expunge a record that was very important to you there are multiple bills that have been introduced on this topic already with different approaches uh, to expand to show the city's support for expanding Medicaid um, to require that lost or stolen guns are reported to local law enforcement immediately upon discovering that they were lost or stolen and an issue to um, funded by the Commonwealth to encourage local governments to reduce their carbon footprint and enhance resilience by promoting alternative energy sources and improving energy efficiency, reducing potential damage caused by flooding and other extreme weather-related events uh, when renovating or constructing public buildings. There are, is already a bill that's been introduced by a delegate in Arlington um, that would create a Virginia energy efficiency um, 
evaluation fund. So th these bills are out there. We will be watching them, and uh, you will be updated. Our legislators, because of your package, will know your position on these bills, on everything that was in our original package. And you got this by email, and you have it tonight, so you have a complete package in front of you. Thank you. Uh, Christine Morris, your Chief Resilience Officer, so we're going to do a quick pop-up on the uh, Chesterfield Heights easement that's on your agenda tonight, uh, just so folks are aware of what you're doing. Uh, thank you very much. This is just a real quick update that uh, next, on the 23rd, you'll be getting an ordinance to accept an easement. This is the Chesterfield Heights berm area that will be doing some improvements under the Ohio Creek Project. So uh, the area is that green area uh, right adjacent to the river. And the next slide. Um, this uh, is the area that will... Um, uh, be underneath, uh, under the easement, so it's the entire uh, area there, and it will be to do berm, shoreline improvements, and uh, drainage. And then the final is um, the community asked us to keep it, uh, the, the improvements as close to the river as possible, so this is the current alignment. It is tentative. Um, there, uh, you know, it, it is uh, subject to our ability to get everything permanent. Uh, we may have to move it around a little bit, but right now um, the community was in favor of the easement, so you'll be seeing that All right, so those are the, the, the quick agenda item uh, overviews. Uh, there, there are um, you know, some big issues that we talk about. We talk about resilience. We talk about poverty. We talk about transportation and, um, and how those things really fit in the vision that you all have for, for Norfolk. And uh, nothing's more important from a transportation perspective than our airport. And so it felt like it's really important to make sure that that relationship remains, remains a strong one and that you all remain aware of some of the issues that some of the challenges they have and some of the strong things they have going on. And so we've got representatives uh, uh, there today, but we'd like to ask uh, Commissioner Peter Decker III to, to step forward and, uh, and introduce his executive Thank director. Thank you. Is okay? Perfect. Good. Your Honor and Your Honor's times 10, I think. Glad to be here. Our chairwoman, Blythe Scott, was unavailable. She asked me to be here. And I asked our lawyer, Anita Poston, <laughs> she's wonderful, by the way. Thank you, Ms. Poston. Uh, this gentleman had some legendary shoes to fill. Wayne Shank was an incredible leader of the airport. And he's not only filled those shoes, he, he's made quite a footprint. We're lucky to have him. He is doing a wonderful job. We're so confident in him. And I'm just going to turn it over to Robert Bowen. Thank you again. Mayor. Ladies and gentlemen of the council, Mr. City Manager, uh, first of all, appreciate the opportunity to uh, come before you and just give you an update on uh, the Norfolk International Airport. Um, it's a condensed version of what uh, was included in the uh, annual report that we sent in April, I mean April, in December. Um, so to start off, here we go. Got it, got it. There we go. Some of the areas I want to do, uh, address are the airport's value to the region, a performance update, recent and current projects, capital improvement program, and secondary uh, runway update. In, um, In 2017, the uh, Virginia Department of Aviation conducted an economic impact study of the uh, nine commercial service airports and 66, uh, uh, 57 um, general aviation airports, a total of 66 in Virginia. Uh, for Norfolk, the impact uh, that we have on this area is 14,920 jobs with a payroll of over $600 million and a total economic uh, input of $1.8 billion. Some, some facts about the, uh, the airport. Uh, our property is about 1,100 acres. Uh, our passenger terminal complex is about 680,000 square feet. The uh, general aviation terminal, which is separate, is 54,000 square feet. We've handled uh, 3.2 million uh, passengers in the past year, 65 million pounds of cargo, with 74,000 flight operations. 
We have uh, 20 uh, dining and retail uh, storefronts within the terminals, uh, 23 gates, and two runways. In uh, 2017, we uh, received a uh, reaffirmation of our uh, A3 rating with a stable outlook from Moody's. Uh, we receive no money in local taxes. We are basically a self-sustaining um, operation at the airport. We have a history of annual surpluses, and we're audited uh, yearly. In uh, terms of air service, uh, we have five airlines. Uh, serving 22 nonstop destinations, 433 average weekly departures. Uh, you can see the map here that we uh, uh, have routes up to Boston, down to Miami, uh, to Denver, uh, Minneapolis, Houston and Dallas, and cities in between. Uh, we were just, uh, it was just announced yesterday uh, by United that they're going to begin uh, year-round daily nonstop service to uh, Denver from Norfolk. Uh, that was, uh, has been on one of our targets uh, for having um, uh, year-round service. Southwest has been providing seasonal service the last two uh, years. And um, our marketing department has worked with uh, United and they have um, added us onto their uh, year-round schedule. So we're we're pleased with that, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, having the community respond well to that new service. Uh, some of uh, the, the recent new service, going back to uh, 2016, Delta added two daily uh, flights to JFK, American three daily flights to Chicago O'Hare. In 17, uh, the Denver service that uh, uh, Southwest uh, increased actually from the year before to two weekly, two flights per week. Uh, Minneapolis uh, with Delta, uh, one daily flight, which is seasonal, but we're hoping that that's going to become year-round for us. Uh, Delta uh, added a Boston service, um, and that's uh, daily. And we're working with Delta on improving uh, the schedule uh, from Norfolk to Boston. Allegiant uh, started uh, service here in the fall with uh, two weekly flights to Tampa, two to Orlando, and two to Fort Lauderdale, and they are very happy with the response that they've received from the community, and we continue to talk with them about additional service. In 2017, um, we, in November, we uh, achieved 30 months of consecutive year-over-year -year passenger growth. Uh, through uh, November, we're up 4.8% in passengers and up 3% in cargo. We do uh, surveys of our passengers uh, year-round, uh, and basically uh, what it shows us is that for the purpose of travel, it's about evenly split, split between uh, pleasure and business. Uh, the Median number of annual trips for our uh, passengers is just under five. Sixty-five percent of our uh, passengers are Virginia residents. Thirty-five percent are outside of Virginia, the bulk of those being in North, Northeast North Carolina. Fifteen percent uh, have our active duty military uh, households. Average age is 41, with 69 percent of our travelers between the ages of 25 and 54. And the income, medium household income of our passengers is 58700 but 35 percent of our travelers have a medium household income of $75,000 or better. We've been uh, undergoing a uh, renovation of the facilities at the airport um, really since uh, about 2010, 2011, really got started on it. The uh, terminal where the arrivals and departures uh, occur uh, are, is, uh, was built in 1974, and uh, so it needed a facelift. And so we've been freshening it up by uh, adding new and renovated restrooms, uh, replacing our acres of carpet with acres of hard surface terrazzo, new skylights, uh, upgrading the furniture, 
plantings. Uh, we've just completed uh, three mother's rooms for uh, mothers who are nursing, um, and uh, one on each concourse and one in the main lobby. And uh, we've gone to free Wi-Fi and also uh, adding more and more charging stations uh, throughout the uh, terminals and the concourses themselves. The General Aviation Terminal is actually where we started our renovations, and that uh, was accomplished about three, four years ago. Uh, General Aviation is where uh, our corporate customers come, in, come and go on their aircraft, as well as the private aircraft, and it's really uh, the, the other door into uh, Norfolk. Uh, and so we uh, upgraded the entire interior of that building, which was uh, opened in 1983. We expanded parking. Um, we added conference rooms and uh, additional flooring. And it, uh, most of that was done with state funding that we were eligible for. Concession improvements. We have two master concessionaires. HMS Host provides our food and beverage, and Hudson Group provides our retail. Between the two of them, in this um, past two or three years, they have invested uh, a combined total of $5.5 million into the airport. They've added uh, restaurants. They have upgraded uh, their other facilities. Hudson has added a candy store. They are uh, going to start this spring in upgrading their retail stores on the concourses, and we are working with them to add another candy store to uh, Concourse B. For an airport our size, uh, we have an excellent uh, concessions program, and it uh, uh, helps uh, us on the revenue side because it's non-aeronautical revenue that we use to uh, meet our operations. Capital Improvement Program, in our budget uh, for fiscal year 2018, we had a $100 million uh, budget. Um, most of that right now is in the planning and design stage. Uh, the runway rehabilitation uh, will uh, commence in August of this year. That's on our primary runway, 9,000 feet long, which is going to be resurfaced with new centerline lights, new edge lights, and uh, new signage. That work will take place uh, at night. We'll, uh, we've been negotiating with the airlines and uh, have worked out a program where the uh, runway will be closed from about 12.15 a.m. to 5.15 a.m. It will uh, allow us then to get on the runway and do this work. This is not unusual for us. With one air carrier runway, we do most of our work at night. Uh, during the time when there's no flights uh, scheduled. Um, so that will take about three months. There will be another additional three months of work along the edges of the runway as well. Uh, wayfinding improvements, basically signage in and out, inside and outside of the airport. A concourse A expansion, and that's going to be <coughs> remodeling a couple of gates at the end of the concourse adding a uh, new upgraded elevator and stairways and an uh, enclosed uh, vestibule for those passengers that are deplaning or inplaning uh, directly from an aircraft on the ramp without the benefit of a loading bridge. That's for some of the uh, smaller uh, commuter aircraft that, uh, that American flies here. Uh, we are in design for a uh, another nine-level parking garage, which will be long-term parking. Uh, we are, uh, will be going to the bond market for that. Uh, we're currently have a RFQ uh, uh, for a uh, feasibility uh, consultant to basically make sure we um, are not biting off more than we can chew with this, uh, with this next garage. Uh, new federal inspection facilities will actually be at the general aviation facility. Uh, right now, and for the last 35 years, um, the arriving general aviation and corporate aircraft have had to clear customs at the cargo terminal because they, can, they cannot go to the, inter, uh, to the uh, main terminal. Um, and so we have been approved uh, for the funding for the design for an inspection facility strictly for general aviation. 
and uh, are looking to start construction on that in the next uh, budget year. Uh, new elevators uh, in the uh, arrivals and departures terminal, and then also working with in the ticketing lobby with the baggage screening <coughs> equipment, recessing that behind the wall so it's better for the customers. They only have to drop their bags once. We just built a, a new ticketing facility for uh, Delta Airlines, and that's the first one that's had their uh, screening equipment recessed behind the, the uh, bag belts, and it's working very well. We are in a master plan update uh, now, and uh, air, airports are required to update their master plan uh, periodically. Our last update was in 2008, so now we're working with um, a, a consultant that will be working on a master plan. And really the purpose of that, it's a 20-year um, look at uh, how we're going to develop uh, the airport. And uh, the, the features that we are looking at, uh, including in this plan, will be a secondary parallel runway to replace the crosswind runway, bringing the entire airfield, runways and taxiways, up to FAA design standards, a new airline jet fuel storage and dispensing facility, dedicated aircraft de-icing area designed to capture and contain the icing fluid, additional aircraft parking apron, relocation of some facilities uh, to provide adequate space for the proposed parallel runway, improvements to airport access roads such as Robin Hood Road and the I-64 interchange at Robin Hood and Military an expansion of the terminals and parking facilities that we have. Um, as part of that process, uh, we'll have uh, technical and uh, advisory committees that we've made up of representatives from uh, the cities, from the Navy, uh, from other agencies within the Hampton Roads area, and then also a community advisory committee, which will be made up of civic leagues and uh, organ other organizations um, such as that that uh, actually we're setting up our first meeting on January 24th uh, for those committees that will basically be part of the master planning process uh, for us and give us feedback on um, the, the, the uh, concepts that we're looking at. Secondary runway update. As you're aware, we had started an EIS, an environmental impact study, uh, for a parallel runway back in uh, 2014, and it was uh, canceled by the FAA after the first phase uh, was completed. Um, the uh, reasoning for the FAA was they felt that we did not need a, a parallel runway at this time. Uh, this parallel would be to um, replace the crosswind runway, which now has a usable length of only 39 100 feet, so it only can be used by the smallest aircraft, and its orientation directly conflicts with the naval air stations at Norfolk and Oceana. Um, we worked uh, with our congressional delegation and uh, with the state to uh, have the uh, FAA restart the uh, EIS and finish it. Um, we were not successful with that. So now we're in the master plan uh, study, which the FAA is still encouraging us to plan for the uh, parallel runway, but to uh, look at some different concepts for it. The, um, as you can see, our, our airfield is fairly limited in size, and we pretty much have, has been our planning uh, all along that we're going to stay within the, foot, the current <coughs> footprint of the airport itself. So a parallel runway, our concept that we were uh, doing the uh, imp uh, environmental study for would have been um, oriented in this nature and then removing the crosswind runway as well. We have uh, been working with um, our consultants on this to come up with some uh, alternatives that will be developed within the master plan study. Uh, we are continuing um, our dialogue and meetings with the Navy uh, because it has an impact uh, as far as for uh, airspace and uh, overflight uh, on the uh, 
Joint Expeditionary Base, uh, Little Creek. And so the, uh, the Navy was part of the EIS, and the, uh, we've asked, invited them to be part of our master plan study as well. So that's uh, the presentation that I had. Um, I had a couple of questions here that I would like to address as well. Uh, I talked a little bit about the, EI, uh, the uh, parallel runway. Uh, in May of 2017, uh, there was a joint letter signed by Senators Warner and Kane and Congressman Scott and Taylor to uh, Secretary of Transportation Elaine Chao to resume the EIS. Um, and as far as I know, uh, no response was received from that letter. Um, so we continue to work through the planning process. We've had discussions with uh, FAA headquarters staff on this, and they're encouraging us to, uh, to look at new alternatives for how this uh, runway would um, be oriented and located on the airfield. Uh, one of the driving factors to getting this parallel runway constructed is the impending uh, need to reconstruct the primary runway, which our primary runway whoops, is this runway here, 9,000 feet long, 150 feet wide. The, uh, that is the center part of that runway is the original runway for the airport itself. And it um, has, is reaching the end of its operational life. We have been told uh, 10 years after we do this uh, rehabilitation this year that we will be looking at the need to fully reconstruct. That means take everything out uh, down to the soil and uh, put in a, a new surface. In some areas, this runway is, is 30 to 36 inches deep. So it's not something that can be done in four hours a night. It would most likely require a prolonged uh, closure of the runway, and without a viable secondary runway, then the airport will have, um, will not be able to operate during that time. We have uh, the firm Kimley Horn uh, is doing our engineering uh, for us. They've been doing a very intensive survey and analysis of the current runway, and um, we're expecting that report in the next couple of weeks from them as well. No, we've superimposed that the uh, parallel, which is is uh, excuse me, is this runway here, okay. is superimposed on our aerial map to show how it'd be oriented uh, within the airport property. Construction of the current runway is that something that you could do in section? So, like part of the runway would be shut down for I don't know six seven months, and then another part would be shut down, or would the entire thing have to be shut down? Most likely, and, and we're still waiting on that final report that, that will help us with the phasing of that. But under the current technology, we can possibly shut down a little bit on one end at a time. But when you get into that center, 6,000 feet of, uh, of asphalt, it, there would not be enough runway to operate uh, commercial flights on. And it can't be done in sections in one night and be ready for air, aircraft operations the next day. So that's, that's what we're facing. We're trying to plan for that. Um, as I said, the airlines are working with us on the schedule for the uh, rehabilitation. Uh, one, of the, one of the questions that we have heard is uh, basically our service um, and how we stack up against other airports. We serve the same number of cities as Richmond does. They have a few more flights than we do, but uh, the same number of cities, actually the same cities. Uh, it was mentioned Charlotte. Well, Charlotte is a <coughs> hub airport for American Airlines, so they're in a, a, a different uh, category. We are a uh, considered a small hub airport, uh, us in Richmond, here in uh, the Commonwealth. And uh, Raleigh um, is uh, 
was a hub for TWA and American at one time. So they've retained a lot of their uh, area, uh, even though they're uh, not a hub airport anymore, they're still considered um, a larger airport than Norfolk and have a lot of the facilities and the additional runways uh, as they had when they were a hub airport. As far as attracting airlines, yes. Yes. Yeah, a couple of questions. Would you have any idea as to how many patrons might choose to go to Richmond and take a flight out <clears> of <throat> Richmond versus staying here? Is one question that I have. And then my other question, I'm sure you're going to go a little further. The people move. You took that out, right? Yes, we're in the process. You're taking it out? Yes. So what are you doing to get people to the... Are you going to buy some golf carts or what are you going to do? We... Um, I'll address that question first. Okay, good. Uh, yes, we are in the process of removing uh, that walkway. It's uh, been in operation for 15 years. At the time it was put in, it was the longest continuous uh, moving walkway in the world. Uh, it's uh, since then been eclipsed by two other walkways, but neither one of those are in the United States. <clears throat> it had a uh, significant mechanical failure and uh, as uh, our contractor who designed it, built it, installed it, and has maintained it for 15 years, as they started looking at the system, uh, they determined that it was really at the end of its uh, useful life. It was uh, too heavily worn to repair. We are working with our architect, uh, uh, structural engineer, and also a uh, moving walkway escalator uh, consultant uh, on what the alternatives would be. Part of the issue is it's on an elevated bridge, which means the vibration is different than if it's on a flat, hard surface on the ground. And most likely the alternative is going to be having it in two sections each way, as you see at a lot of areas. So. Once we've got the current one fully removed and we're going to do a, um, a structural inspection of the bridge to make sure there's not been any uh, interior damage to the structure from the operation for 15 years of that, make sure we have a sound structure to place it on and then start looking at design for that. In the meantime, uh, we have... Um, added extra seats, we'll add more seating there for people that maybe need a rest as they're walking through. We've worked with the two SkyCap companies at the airport that actually work on the contract for the airlines, but they are on call uh, to assist uh, people that need uh, to get from one end to the other. Uh, so that, that's where we are now. We've not had too many uh, complaints about it. Uh, since it's been down since May, actually, of, of last year. And um, it's been more of a curiosity, I think, than a, than a complaint. Uh, just, you know, what are we doing and when are we going to finish? Uh, so probably we've got to work it into the budget. It's going to be expensive, and but there is some funding available for it that we're going to explore our funding for it as well. Um, the other question is about a leakage, what we would call leakage to Richmond. <clears throat> For the most part, it's been the uh, Boston service um, because Delta and JetBlue were real, in a real fair war to Boston. And at that time, we had no nonstop flights to Boston. So uh, we worked uh, with Delta. Delta's put in the one flight. Uh, we're trying to get a better schedule for the Norfolk passengers going uh, up to Boston. And we're also looking at additional as well uh, flights on that. For the most part, everything else we're we're on even par with uh, with Richmond on the service. Oh, Angela. I have one um, on the people mover. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the concourses are actually longer than that walkway from when you get off the plane to get mm -hmm. to. Is there? I, I mean, is there something wrong with folks walking? Oh, I know. I, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a novel idea, but. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, you know, it's I, a I short distance compared to. I mean, even if if you're all the way at the end of the 
runway concourse yes. getting off your plane, mm -hmm. and you have to walk all the way. I mean, that is a longer walk yes. than that bridge. Right. I don't understand the need to spend all the money mm -hmm. to replace it with some flitzy <clears throat> thing when you could just cover it up, put some carpet on it, and people could just walk. Well, that's uh, what we're going to do in, in the interim. And like I said, add seating and that. I, you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's just the effect of the of the long, straight tunnel, uh, or not. But um, but we we got a lot of compl uh, comments uh, about not uh, not having that uh, walkway moving. And out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. Andrea, um, there had been discussion about a year ago about a, a regional airport that would be somewhere Isle of Wight yes. area. What's your perspective on that? The viability of that? How does how do we um, how are we addressing that? that? That was my first question. And the second question I have is related to stormwater fees. Um, and I'm, I'm concerned about uh, the proposal that the airport would no longer pay for stormwater fees, which would be about a, a negative $250,000 hit a year to our city budget. Okay. <clears throat> Let me take the regional airport. <clears throat> yes. Let me take the regional airport first. Um, that was actually a study that began in the 1990s by the state. Uh, was looking at actually Richmond, Norfolk, and Newport News airports as far as what was the future uh, ability of these airports. Uh, and it was basically about a 30 or 40 year look ahead uh, for that, uh, of building a regional airport. Some people refer to it as a Dulles in, airport in, in southeast Virginia. And uh, that study led to a second study around 1999-2000, which they actually were looking at at a site, and it was going to be in the Isle of Wight area around Wakefield, I believe, was, was the site that they were looking at, and of what it would cost to build an airport there. Uh, at the beginning, Richmond, Norfolk, and, and Newport News were all participating uh, in the study, and what the study revealed is with that that the cost for the airlines to operate at a brand new airport where there's no infrastructure, there's no road system outside of the current 460. This report envisioned 460 being um, interstate quality, and of course, uh, that's not that did not happen. And the costs were extremely high. I've seen numbers as high as $38 per employment. Now. Norfolk's in, uh, cost per employment is a little over eight dollars, and that's that's the metric that the airlines look at when they're serving or putting service into an airport. Is how much does it cost them to put one passenger in one seat? And it's something that we, as staff and and my board, looks looks at every month is how we're doing on our cost per employment. So uh, the study was basically it was completed. I think there was even a design. Uh, preliminary design for it, but the the cities that were involved all basically said we don't want to give up our airport for uh, for a new regional airport. Just recently, Dulles Airport had to receive uh, fifty million dollars from the uh, state of Virginia to prevent uh, United from moving their hub from. Uh, Dulles because their cost had gotten up to about $26 uh, a passenger. So the airlines are cutting back on hubs and, uh, you know, it's basically the airports that we have now seem to be serving their communities. The second one was, is on the stormwater. I am uh, serving currently as president of the Virginia Aviation or Virginia Airport Operators Council, and that's the association that represents the 66 public use airports in Virginia. We, uh, we have uh, a legislative agenda ourselves, and one of the areas that we have looked at is the impact of stormwater fees on airports in Virginia. And uh, in most cases, the stormwater, especially at, at Norfolk, and the commercial airports and the larger general aviation airports, uh, basically the airports are maintaining their 
best management practices themselves as far as uh, con uh, controlling stormwater runoff. What uh, leg the legislation that we've introduced is similar to what was introduced and passed in North Carolina last year, where we are asking that the uh, the code in Virginia that um, exempts roadways and street right-of-ways from stormwater fees, that runways and taxiways at public-use airports be added to that, not the entire airport, but the runways and taxiways be added to that to give uh, airports uh, relief from stormwater uh, fees. It's my job as executive director of the airport authority to, to do what I can do to keep our cost under control for the very reasons I've just mentioned, that the airlines look at our cost per employment and stormwater fees, you know, hit that. Um, so, and then as president of the VAOC, I'm also obligated to uh, support the needs of the other airports in the Commonwealth. So that is the reason that, that this legislation is being introduced. We're running out of time. Mr. Boynton, let me thank you. And Anita, it's always good to see you. And Peter Decker, third, thank you for what you do for the airport and for our city. And I'm quite sure we will have more questions for you and have you back again. I'd be happy but to. But thank you for coming and sharing uh, an update on the airport. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Mr. Thank you. Mr. Manager. Thank you, thank you Mayor. Uh, Deputy City Manager Mike Goldsmith is going to come forward and talk to you a little bit about um, Winter Storm Grayson. And, and as he's coming forward, I would tell you, uh, this thing was an anomaly. You know, it was extremely cold for several days before the storm. Uh, storm hit. Um, uh, temperature stayed low. Uh, you, you'll see with forecast we thought it would be two, four, six, then suddenly eight, ten, twelve inches, and so uh, we got hit with something that really uh, doesn't happen, but about every twenty-five or thirty years. And um, want to give you a sense of. Uh, what we know so far and how we handle it, we're still in recovery mode, frankly, a, a bit. So we're still um, uh, have got some services, particularly uh, uh, waste management, that are, that are getting back up and, and online. But Michael will sort of lay out what's happened the last uh, four or five days. Yes, sir. Good evening, Mayor, Mayor members of Council, uh, Manager Smith. Uh, Mr. Smith set this up perfectly. Um, what we're going to talk about today is the problem set that we had going into the storm, uh, what our command and control looked like. Uh, and then we're going to break it out the way that Mr. Reddick breaks it out uh, during our emergency, any event that we have, by infrastructure, mass care, public safety, and messaging. Uh, just to give you a little bit of a caveat, uh, we're still gathering data. Uh, we're still working this as an, as an active event. Uh, what Mr. Smith said is exactly right. We're still, we're still in active operations at this point. So one of the things we had to deal with right uh, off the bat was colder than normal temps prior to the event. Um, as a matter of fact, it had been cold enough that at the beginning of the month we had started our warming overflow uh, to be able to take care of our homeless. And what that means is it's gotten to the point where it's dangerous for human beings to be out. We want to make sure that we take care of our most vulnerable population. Um, so that was going on before the event got here. Then we had variable snow forecasts. This is the track that we got from the National Weather Service, and you can see how it's jumping around from 2 to, to 6 to 8 to 12 inches. And we ended up uh, getting... Uh, 11 inches of snow reported by the National Weather Service. Uh, this prevents a, a real planning challenge when we're trying to uh, get operations stood up for this. Uh, just to give you a little bit from the National Weather Service, uh, you know, if they look at over 45 to 50 years of tracking, we would normally expect an event like this once every 25 to 30 years. Uh, so it was a rare event that we had um, going into this thing. Uh, that doesn't mean it couldn't happen, you know, two weeks from now, but generally if you look at statistics, you're you would expect something like this every 25 uh, to 30 years. Another complication was it stayed cold. Uh, we ended up getting a bunch of snow dumped on us. It stuck. It has remained cold. Um, you know, this is what we're faced with coming into Wednesday and Thursday. And what you find out is that if the temperature is below 17, what we're putting down on the road doesn't work. Uh, it just doesn't. There's not enough energy to make it work if the temperatures are below 17 degrees. And we had that. Uh, for most of the time that we were working this. So the way we responded was to set up some command and control. Uh, we implemented a virtual emergency operations center. We used WebEOC, which is our product to manage these events. We were able to update, keep everybody updated. I gave everybody somewhat of a common operating picture within the city. 
Um, the city manager uh, implemented uh, briefing calls. 24-hour uh, operational periods were implemented, and we got on the phone every day to talk about what our goals and objectives were and what we had accomplished in the previous 24 hours. Uh, Mr. Reddick uh, did a great job participating with uh, Virginia Department of Emergency Management and the National Weather Service. Uh, we got daily situation reports from all of our um, folks out in the field, and Mr. Smith participated in some regional conference calls with the other city managers and county administrators. Uh, now to go into the folks that uh, were doing a lot of this work. Uh, you can see the goals there for public works, uh, maintaining our primary and secondary routes, uh, trying to get unimpeded movement for our emergency vehicles, uh, traffic signal operations, and to maintain the health and safety uh, standards by collecting waste uh, as weather conditions would allow. Uh, and then we have a good picture of the mayor with some of our folks who are actually out there shoveling snow. Um, public works, these are some of the resources that were expended during this time. 185 personnel, you can see the numbers. Uh, of note, 1,100-plus tons of salt dumped, 300-plus uh, tons of sand. Uh, we had contract support from VDOT uh, for a portion of this event. Um, however, uh, they left Saturday at 7 o'clock in the morning because there was another event pouring in to the western part of the state, and uh, so we did not have them for the full time. want to point out that the public works folks were on 12-hour shifts, working 24 hours a day to keep this thing moving and trying to get everything cleared. Uh, facilities, we had a great team working that. Um, uh, Public Works, our post, General Services, uh, the Sheriff's Office, and private contractors all worked together to get our public facilities cleared so that we could provide access to our citizens. Uh, this is a, a really important part. Our mass care folks did a tremendous job of sheltering our most vulnerable. Uh, you can look at the numbers there. We ended up, I think the biggest night was Monday, with 148 homeless individuals placed in shelters across the city. Between the Norfolk Emergency Shelter teams, uh, what was going on at the Department of Human Services and their lobby, and then opening up our Community Services Board building uh, to get folks in there. Uh, a tremendous amount of work done to take care of our most uh, vulnerable. Uh, we had other support from uh, folks providing food. Salvation Army helped out. Um, big team effort in doing that. Uh, now we're going to go into some of our external partners. Uh, Public Health was a participant. You can see everything they did there. Um, you had Operation Blessing with the Snow Buddy program. Uh, Mr. Ruddick has done a tremendous job in getting these partners to us to make sure that they can help us out when we have these things uh, going on. Shoveling snow uh, for folks that could not get out to shovel their own snow. Uh, we had the Virginia Four-Wheelers Association. Not only did they help get some of our employees to work, but they also took people to their hospital appointments. So folks that needed dialysis, were able to come in and take advantage of this service to be able to make sure that they got the necessary medical care. Public safety, you can see the call for service log there. Uh, definitely up from what we usually experience. Fire department um, had a lot of stuff they had to respond to uh, getting through the roadways. Uh, we also put fire personnel in the radio room to help assist with prioritizing the calls. Uh, our messaging function from our um, uh, public affairs and public information officers uh, just trying to get information out tremendously and get it out in a quick fashion so our citizens could stay informed at all times while the event was going on. Uh, Norfolk Cares Call Center, uh, you can see the number of calls. Uh, that actually um, took place uh, from January 4th to 11 o'clock this morning. That's the number of calls they've received uh, in reference to snow-related events. All right, next steps. We're not over. So as the weather warms up, we've already seen some um, pipes busting from the freezing. Uh, we're going to continue to work this. Uh, we're going to continue to post all of our storm-related information. Uh, we have an after-action report. So we will get together as a team. Mr. Reddick will facilitate it. And what we'll do is put together an after-action report to find out how we did, what we might be able to do better. Uh, we're also going to take this report and share it uh, with my counterparts in the other cities so that we can come up with a way to take a look at some regional best practices that we might be able to implement all over the um, region. Questions? I know I went through it quick. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Riddick. So um, thank you guys for all that you do. And we know that you'll never win um, if you were to say you did a good job or, you know, if you stand up here and say all the things you did. There's a lot of people, particularly on social media, who think they know how to plow roads in this area. I spent a lot of time defending things, you know, on social media. I gave up on that. Um, so, 
I do, do have some things I want to ask you about, um, just the help with this. So after the 2014 one, which most of the people here weren't on council, when we got that, there were some suggestions that were made. I'm just wondering how much of this was followed up on. Um, there was a lot of good things that came out of that report. Doug, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I have not, but okay. I found this doing snow cleaning. Right. So I was at home, I cleaned out a whole bunch of city council stuff <laughs> and found this. I was like, this is perfect timing. One of the things that was in here, which was interesting, which I don't know if it's still the same cost, um, but it said that uh, for the 81000 spent for one day of VDOT contractor snow clearing removal support, so I guess we still have to pay VDOT, um, we could buy at least five additional frames or plows that could be added to the city inventory, which would increase overall snow removal productivity by 20%. So, you know, I, I'm not going to speak on the rest of council, but if VDOT pulled out on Saturday, but we still had a need on Sunday and Monday, I would rather you spend the money on snowplows for our city and put them on trucks. I know it's a personnel issue too, and you've got to have people to be able to operate them. But if you've got those people ready to go or because of damaged plows, I'd rather us spend that money on that. I know we get some reimbursement possibly too in an emergency, since it was called, um, and, and maybe some of that would be paid for. But I think we're, if we're reaching the point that we're seeing more of these events, um, even though this one was a little bit unique because of the freezing temperatures, we're still seeing one big snow event now, it seems a year, that we probably could enhance a little bit of our snow plow inventory instead of giving the money to VDOT. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I heard from people that VDOT did not do as good of a job as the city did. I heard that they, were, they didn't lower their blades as low. They were a little bit nervous because they're not from the area, so they don't know our streets as well. They couldn't get their bigger trucks, you know, on the bends. So some of those places were a little bit rough. Um, and it's not being critical. It's just the reality of it that we're relying on these people to come in, take care of our city, but they don't care about it as much as maybe our employees or people here do and um, making sure that it gets done right. I know one of the bigger concerns, too, and I'll let you respond in just a few minutes, is that when we plow the uh, primary and secondary, we're blocking um, roads for people to get out of their neighborhood. Um, so in a, taking account, I went to work, and it, a part of Ocean Avenue was not plowed yet, but I was able to make it in. By the time I got back, it was plowed, but I couldn't get back in my neighborhood because there's like a two-foot wall of snow that had been plowed in the entranceway. So, I, I mean, I was pretty rough in it to get over that in my CRV. Um, and so th those are some things to take into consideration. Also, with the increased amount of storms, um, should we mark our primary and secondary routes with signs? So should we have a snowflake on a sign just so citizens know that these are the roads that get cleared out first? Um, and that way they're aware of it and, and our emergency personnel, people that um, are new to the city know Little Creek Road and Granby Street, these are the places. A lot of people were surprised that Chesapeake Boulevard is not cleared. It's not considered a primary route. Uh, but maybe this will help, you know, if you had two snowflakes, it's a secondary route, one snowflake. I don't know what other cities do, but you put them, you know, down, and we can probably make them ourselves in-house with our own sign equipment. And then my other question was, do we pre-treat the secondary roads? So I know we do bridges and the uh, overpasses, but do we also uh, put a layer down of the salt brine on the secondary roads to make them easier to plow when we do get to them? All right, so there's three or four things, uh, but the one, one uh, Jim, help me on this. We do not anticipate any reimbursement. Yes, to be sir. to get in reimbursement, we'd have to be within 10, 10, 10% okay. uh, snowfall of a, of a record. As, as much as we got, we weren't there. So we won't, I just want to be clear, okay. we won't be, don't expect any money back from, from anybody for our expenses. In terms of the pre-treatment, I'm going to look back at Richard and, and Pete on the secondary roads. Just to, Do we pre-treat the secondary roads? We don't pre-treat the secondary. Yeah. We try to get... 585 lane miles of primaries and secondaries. We run out of assets. We don't have the resources to be able to do that. I, by the way, I, I told told somebody the conspiracy theory that Ocean View doesn't get handled. I said, well, the guy in charge of clearing it lives in Ocean View, so <laughs> yeah, I know. I told that, so so he never made it home. So he's. All right, Mr. Riddick. Uh, but yeah. it, it did the snow signs. I don't know if that's something that <laughs> we can thought. look into. We'll look at that. Um, and then also buying our own plows instead of uh, VDOT, so. So we'll, we'll look at all yeah. okay. that. Yeah, okay. A couple of things. Uh, I noticed coming down uh, Tidewater Drive, when the snow plows plowed the roads, all of the cars that were parked at the curb, uh, the people were not able to get into their cars. 
And so I'm wondering what we could do to, to you know, kind of help. Because, you know, a lot of the uh, people might not be able to move that stuff. And secondly, um, the signs may help too if they yeah. know that's a big to move your car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, in addition, uh, the HRT bus. Now, we don't control when they run. And uh, a couple of years ago, when they did the plowing, they, you know, um, plowed over. So people who were in the, um, uh, the shelters could not get to the bus. Okay. And I guess we need to recognize that most of the people who use HRT do not have liberal leave policies. So if they're losing, you know, one or two or three days um, money from work, that can, that can have a heck of an impact on the economy. So, uh, two, so one question is just what drives them to stop service, and then the other one is right. what are we doing around the, yeah, the uh, to, uh, stops? Around the, um, the shelters. Right. You know, if we got public works, um, then we could um, get somebody to come out and shovel, you know, that uh, area. And then... Uh -huh. Shouldn't HRT take care of their own shelters? Well, I mean, it seems like it would be their responsibility. What happens when we plow? You, you got a great point, uh -huh. you know. But when we plow, you know, you, you remember a couple of years ago, uh, people couldn't get to the buses, right. you know. So, right. But but I uh, asked uh, Mr. Harold when this was beginning to get in touch with Public Works and uh, so they could coordinate it, mm -hmm. and he said that he would, but I don't know, you know, whether it happened or not. Um, you know, we had a snow last year about this same time. Of course, the temperatures were not as low and, and the magnitude was not as great. But I think each year she will, we should learn something. You know, it's just like Tommy was saying, and others will, uh, probably believe the same thing. We need to invest more money. Uh, we were fortunate enough to buy as many police cars as we bought, you know, last year. We took a deep breath. So maybe this year when you do your budget, you might want to, you know, look at it that way. Um, I would like to know what NRHA response <coughs> was yeah. in our public housing communities with regard to um, getting those roads. Those are very, some of those communities have very narrow streets and lots of cars parked on both sides. And I'd like to know what they did to. <coughs> John's behind you. Except for Oakley Forest, all of our public housing communities are city streets so we 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 plow um our off street parking but we don't have any equipment to do um actual street communities we do get through and do the sidewalks so it's a it's so the tree is they're just they're no different than any other neighborhood street and and but we you know we did have some uh, we, we have an after-action report we're about ready to present to our board on Thursday, but we, um, we had a lot of boiler issues, a lot of, a lot of heat, hot water issues. But in terms of mobility, um, we, we, the reports we got were pretty pretty normal, pretty good. Uh, Mid-rises, where we have those surface off-street parking lots, that's where we had our biggest challenge. It's, it's hard to work around all the cars that were already there. So, Mayor, we'll bring you a fuller report, but new, we're here and still in the midst of it. We want to give you a sense of magnitude of what we've been dealing with. I'm going to ask James Rogers to, to jump up and give you all literally a couple of minutes. This is uh, St. Paul's resolution on your agenda uh, on the 23rd. Uh, you've, you've had it for a little while. Uh, he's going to review the highlights of it, uh, tell you what we're doing in terms of informing residents, and if there's any questions, we'll, we'll handle them. Yeah, and I'll go through, through this fairly quickly because I think you've heard it before. But really, just wanted to get the background. We started this uh, in June. We came to you, shared it with you. Didn't do quite a great job on it. So again, we wanted to uh, go back out. You asked us to go back out to the community, and we did do that uh, during July to the uh, to October. And uh, we we did nine meet nine meetings uh, within the uh, community and uh, talked to all the stakeholders there, uh, also the pastors and also the business folks. Uh, then November we did a presentation to City Council and shared that with us and then December uh, we came to you shared the uh, human development uh, outline to you as well as shared the uh, draft resolution with you and then uh, January we came again and uh, we're showing you this uh, draft resolution so I just want to quickly go through this uh, for you uh, the resolution again it's pretty high level it's a it's a um, human services transformation plan 
Uh, that's, what we, that's what this is part of. And really what this resolution will do is give the uh, city manager the ability to actually work with NRHA as well with the community on a collaborative basis to get these things done. So uh, we are going to be involving our, uh, all our residents and stakeholders into the revitalization re, uh, plan. That's Young Terrace, ter uh, Tidewater Gardens, and Calvert Square. And then we will uh, submit a letter to um, NRHA to fulfill the annual plan. As we shared with you before, uh, this is a prescripted uh, annual plan where it's a by HUD program where we will actually, we're actually uh, putting ourselves into that process. And then it directs the city manager to report to you uh, this um, report on the community. Also, if you remember in December, you, uh, you approved uh, a um, a uh, advisory committee, uh, which will be co-chaired by Mr. Riddick and uh, council member uh, Graves. And then uh, creating the vision, again, I will not go through all of these, because again, I think you can, uh, to, um, you can get through these, but I really wanted to make sure we, uh, mm, could you put me back up, I'm sorry, and get me down to, the, <laughs> at least get me to the, uh, really I want to get to the, um, um, to the guiding principles if possible. Yes. Yeah, sure. Just okay. Gotcha. And anyway, we're um, going to have the letter uh, going out to the residents, uh, sharing the draft resolution. We're going to do that this week. Uh, we're going to have a meeting with the tenant management council uh, on Thursday. The mayor will be there along with uh, what do I keep doing here. Uh, keep doing that. Uh, but anyway, we'll have that meeting with the tenant council. So again, we can give and share uh, the draft resolution with them. Uh, also. We'll bring the resolution back to the City Council on the 23rd for a vote. That's why any comments that you have, you can share those with me. And I've been in contact with uh, Councilmember Graves and, and Mr. Riddick as the co-chairs. Uh, we're going to send a newsletter out to the resident outlining, outlining that human development uh, plan that we've talked about. And then we're uh, talking to the uh, both co-chairs to have the advisory uh, committee. And we've actually shared uh, some names of the advisory committee with them and getting their input on that. And, and so that's where we are right now. Any questions? All right. Thanks. All right. I'm going to ask uh, Morgan Whalen, special assistant to the city manager, to jump up and do a 10-minute presentation in three minutes. Um, and that is on the uh, Mayor's Advisory Commission on Climate Change, Mitigation, and Adaptation. So we'll give you all a chance before we go upstairs to um, go through that. Thank you, Mayor, members, council. I'll be very brief. First, just wanted to provide um, background for you and the public. Um, this past June, Mayor Alexander joined the Global, Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy, and that um, led Norfolk to join 7,500 other communities around the world that are voluntarily committing to reduce um, carbon emissions and to combat climate change. So with that, with that commitment, Norfolk is, um, needs to measure our greenhouse gases, create a target to reduce emissions, and establish a mitigation and adaptation plan. And we are proposing to meet the global covenant commitment that um, an advisory commission be established. Um, Dr. Whibley and uh, Council McClellan have agreed to co-chair this commission. It would be staffed by myself and Mr. Adisa Muse. Um, yesterday, you guys received a memo from Adisa. There's also a copy at each of your setting that outlines additional background information on the commission, as well as uh, groups to consider for appointment. Um, the advisory commission would assist with the requirements of the global covenant as well as provide policy recommendations to the City Council. Um, we're proposing that it meets monthly for about six months and then sunset or meet as an ad-needed basis. We're asking for initial discussion and consideration tonight, um, a potential a formal vote on January 23rd, and then a kickoff of the group in February or March. Um, so again, at your place is a memo with additional background information, as well as a 2012 study that Old Dominion University committed on greenhouse gas inventory that will be used to kick off the commission. So happy to answer any questions or turn it over to council for discussion. Uh, I'll carry your word, uh, Andrea. You know, um, both Andrea and I had uh, had a great interest in this when uh, Kenny signed on, and uh, Kenny was nice enough when we pushed him on it uh, to say, okay, go with it, and uh, it's kind of how this commission was born. I, I'd really like some input from all of you, though, as far as the... Um, uh, who's going to make up this committee. Uh, you'll see those um, areas that we thought were um, maybe prudent for us to include, but we'd love to hear from you all if you have um, some other people or individuals and or groups that you think need to be represented. 
Um, we're not recreating the wheel, the egg, what is that term? You know what I mean. We're not starting over here. Uh, there are other cities that have done this, so we have some models uh, that we're going to use, and Morgan's been a great tool for this. So. So the only other thing I would add is um, attached, you'll see uh, an inventory that was done by ODU in 2010 that we're going to use as a model. Um, from which to uh, figure out what our inventory is currently. So you have to have a baseline to start from, and then you start setting goals, and then you can measure up against that. As I understand, though, that the, um, the measurements for uh, the, the inventory might change in the Correct. next year. And so we are um, we're, we're trying to figure out how we're going to move forward if we're going to wait until those measurements are actually announced. Um, there is potential that a group of students from UVA would assist us with this at no charge. We always love. Um, so it's just something moving forward. But as we talk about this epic storm that just hit us, um, we talk about flooding and resilience. Um, I'm proud that Norfolk is moving forward to address this, uh, address climate change and trying to start to reduce our, um, our carbon footprint. And I think it's a great thing and I'm looking forward to working on this with you, Dr. Whibley and others. Okay. Um, Morgan, thank you. So, so Mayor, you've had, um, each of you have been briefed individually on the zoning ordinance, so that's peaceful. We'll, we'll take a pass on, on that this evening. On, you've got your um, retreat uh, February 12th and 13th. Uh, I think this um, uh, global covenant that um, uh, the mayor signed on to um, is, a, is a perfect example of what, um, what we're calling you know, today the, the city moment. You know, there is, the reality is in this country and um, around the world, um, it is cities and regions that are um, really tackling the big hard issues, and that's the theme that I think we're going to we're going to suggest to you for your retreat. And then we really talk a little bit about we've got some ideas of, of having a presentation to you about cities of the future and, and what that looks like, and then giving you a chance to talk about what successful civic engagement, public engagement looks like in that environment, what inclusive economic growth means, and what that looks like. Um, and um, obviously we'll need to have some budget discussions. Um, uh, Mr. Riddick is very good about making sure I understand, though, that it's your retreat, right? And so those are our thoughts, but um, you've got between now and the, uh, uh, and really I'd like to, you know, by next meeting, if you all can start to give me a sense of, hey, I want this or that on the agenda, and I think you've also got your appointee evaluations. I think we would do in February. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. We need those forms that yes. we put together now need to be circulated so that we have back. the evaluation yeah, back forms us. for the uh, retreat. And we'll send them back so, out again if you misplaced them. Just another quick note. I just wanted to thank Doug and Mike Goldsmith and the chief. This issue that we added to the legislative agenda about um, registering guns that have been stolen or lost. This was an interest that the chief presented to us. You know I've had it interest in us doing something about our gun violence in the city and uh, both Mike and uh, the chief um, have been very good about uh, my frustration and uh, Chief Boone mentioned that uh, this was something other chiefs in the city in the state I mean were interested in and Kenny has already been kind of uh, pushing this at the state already so he encouraged us to go for it so I hope all of you will think about this as a um, something we can support. Thank you. Right, just, just to clarify, I think Angela and I are trying to figure out, we got the evaluations, but they were taken back from us. Yeah, yeah. yeah so too we early. We decided okay. it was too early to do it. Right, okay, just to make sure that we don't have them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you keep it to words. You're verbally abusive. Physical abuse, I'm not looking forward. Okay, see you upstairs in a second.